Hello. Welcome to the legend of Robin Hood of Sherwood. Chapter 15. A Bog, a Bishop and a Banquet Winter had come to Sherwood. The leaves had fallen from the trees and the big clearing near the centre of the forest had turned into a muddy swamp. Every year, in summer, the clearing blossomed into a paradise of grass, fruit trees and sun. Every year, in winter, the rains fell and the clearing became a bog. Robin and his men knew how to avoid it, but every year a few travellers straying from the main road through Sherwood ended up in it. Some were rescued, some were not. Some were not found in time and died of starvation. Robin Hood and his men had reduced the treachery of the bog. They passed by every few days and pulled any unlucky travellers out. If the unlucky traveller happened to be a rich churchman or a corrupt official, then he was doubly unlucky. After being saved from the bog, he was robbed and sent on his way, minus his trousers. But Robin Hood was bored. There wasn't a lot going on in Sherwood. Since Alan Dale's wedding, there hadn't been much activity in the forest. Rich merchants and churchmen had learned of the perils that awaited them there, and Robin's enemies were lying low. It was clear that Sir Isambard, Sir Guy and the Sheriff wouldn't leave him alone for ever, but they'd been quiet for a while. Robin had taken to walking along the road to Nottingham trying to pick up intelligence. He'd heard that King Richard was free, but there'd been no sign of him. Robin was hoping to hear good news. One winter's morning, two men strode down the road towards Nottingham. Robin greeted them warmly, but was met with a scathing response. He wasn't pleased. Hey, civility costs nothing. Any more incidents from you, came the haughty response, and I'll knock your block off. Ha, you're welcome to try, replied Robin. Oh, get out of our way, snapped the stranger. We are messengers from the Bishop of Hereford on our way to deliver a message to the Sheriff, and we won't be hindered by a village idiot like you. Oh, but you have been hindered, you see, grinned Robin. The Master of Sherwood decided his luck had changed. The Bishop of Hereford was known to be one of the most villainous of all the dodgy church leaders. His reputation for gluttony and love of money was known to all. The two messengers, clearly unafraid of the tall man dressed in Lincoln Green, laughed. Robin laughed along with them and then whistled loudly. An even taller, very much larger man, also dressed in green, emerged from the bushes by the side of the road. Little John coshed each messenger on the head and then tied him up. An hour later they were in Robber's Glade and Robin Hood was reading their message to the sheriff. When he had finished, he looked up and beamed. Well, he said in mock pity, it seems like the poor bishop has run into hard times. He is asking the Sheriff of Nottingham for a loan of £200. Mr Scarlet and my good friend Alan, I have a job for you. I think it would be fun for you to impersonate these two and take the note to the Sheriff. I can't go, nor could little John here, they know us too well, but you two could carry it off. Will, it'll be a chance for you to show your acting skills, of which you are so proud. Will Scarlet gave a theatrical bow and took the letter. Then he approached the more unpleasant of the messengers who was just waking up. Will dealt him a swift kick to the head to make sure he didn't. Then he took his clothes and dressed up as a messenger. Alan took the garb of the second man and the two outlaws embarked on the short journey to Nottingham. Later that day, they were in the castle standing in front of the sheriff. The master of Nottingham read the message and frowned. He was never too keen on giving money to anyone, but the Bishop of Hereford was an important and influential man. Two hundreds a lot. I'm not sure I have it all available right now. Will Scarlet spoke up. 
Well, I think you'd better give us what you can. The bishop is not a patient man and he will be angry if we return empty-handed. The sheriff was doubtful. Something didn't feel quite right. But his greed got the better of his instinct. £150 now was a small price to pay for future good relations with the bishop. The false messengers thanked him and told him he'd been very wise. They made their way from the castle trying not to giggle. Their wish to giggle was instantly removed when just outside the castle gate they came face to face with the Bishop of Hereford. It seems the churchman hadn't trusted his messengers to get the job done and had decided to come in person. Will Scarlet and Alan Dale bowed down in deference to the bishop who gave them a puzzled look in return. Then the puzzlement returned to anger. He recognised the clothes but not the men. Will saw his face change and yelled. Run, run now, run quite fast. Alan and Will ran. The Bishop of Hereford strode into the castle and gave the sheriff a huge dressing down for giving £150 to some impostors, and the sheriff sent guards to catch the running men. Fortunately for Will and Alan, they'd had enough of a head start. They reached Robber's Glade unmolested and told their tale to Robin. The Sheriff of Nottingham was hopping mad. He'd tried many times to catch Robin Hood and bring him to justice and had failed. Since the last time, he'd semi-given up. After he'd seen Hubert hanging from Robin's homemade gallows, he'd subconsciously decided that going after Robin Hood and his merry men was a very bad idea that only led to disaster. Now, though, he was spurred into action again. He'd been humiliated in front of the Bishop of Hereford, a very powerful man. Also, he'd been tricked, and he didn't like being tricked. He immediately declared that the price on Robin Hood's head was doubled, as were those on Little John, Will Scarlet and Friar Tuck. This was enough to prompt the people of Nottingham into action. Of course, most of the population wouldn't have moved against the men of Sherwood for any amount of money, but some men have their price. An armed band of some 100 desperate town folk marched to Sherwood in order to capture these valuable prizes. Unfortunately for the attackers, and as it turned out for the defenders, Robin Hood was away in Yorkshire. Will Scarlet was in Robber's Glade, while Little John was in command of the sentries posted around the forest to spot intruders. When a hundred or more armed men entered the forest, the alarm was quickly raised, and thirty men in Lincoln Green were soon on hand to fight the hundred. The battle was short and bloody. So good were the archers of Sherwood that many of the attackers fell quickly. But there were just too many of them, and they managed to capture three of Robin's troop. Seeing so many of their comrades fall, they decided they'd got a big enough prize. OK, they hadn't caught Robin, or indeed any of the big four, but they'd got three of the outlaws, and that was more than Guy of Gisborne had ever managed in his raids. The surviving men bound their three captives and dragged them out of Sherwood, all the while loosing hails of arrows towards the defenders of Sherwood. The merry men, not so merry now, did their best to fight back and chase, but there were just too many of the enemy. They blew on their bugles to summon the rest of the men, but it was too late. With desperation and fear in their hearts, they saw their comrades disappear. The three captured men happened to be brothers. Will the wrestler was, rather unsurprisingly, a very fine wrestler. He'd joined the band, along with his brothers Lester and Harry, some nine months earlier. When the sheriff saw the captured outlaws, he was delighted. OK, Robin Hood was still at large, but these would be as good as any to make an example of. They shall be hanged tomorrow in public. That will show everyone, including Robin Hood, what happens to these despicable thieves in my city. 
Will Scarlet was furious when he arrived at the scene and found out what had happened. He was mainly furious because he had been left in charge and the men had been taken on his watch. He calmed down when he heard the full story. There was nothing anyone could have done which would have changed the outcome. Robin Hood, when he arrived later that day, talked to his friend and soothed his anxiety. The task at hand, he said, was to get the men back, not to dwell on how they had been lost. Robin had only been back a short time when he heard the bugle call from the edge of the forest. Fearing the worst, he took some men and went to find out what was up. Expecting to be met with yet another attack, he proceeded cautiously. When he arrived at the source of the note, though, he found himself standing before an old woman. Thinking it might be a trap, Robin looked all around, but it became clear that unless the old woman was booby-trapped, there was no danger. Robin Hood, good Robin Hood, began the visitor, clearly trying to fight back tears. My three sons have been captured. They serve you and they love you and they don't deserve to die. They're all I have in this world. They have kept me and the rest of our family alive while they've been with you. The sheriff will hang them tomorrow. It's all over Nottingham. I beg you to save them. Of course, replied Robin. I will do everything in my power to rescue your boys. They are your family, but they're also my family. I will go myself. Little John pleaded with Robin Hood to be allowed to accompany him on the dangerous rescue. Robin, though, knew that cunning, not strength, would be needed if he were to succeed. He asked John to lead a band of men he would need at the final moment. John, realising Robin was right, reluctantly agreed. He led Friar Tuck and about 40 men stealthily along the road to Nottingham. Robin Hood went, alone, about half a mile in front of them. Little John made sure that his band were not seen. Robin strode confidently towards the city. At least, that's what it would have looked like to an outsider. Inside, though, Robin Hood was anything but confident. And why was this? Why did the great Robin Hood feel so anxious? Well, it was because he didn't have a plan. No, the great leader of Sherwood was about as prepared as a cook with no pans. Something, he thought, would have to turn up or the three brothers were going to die. Just as he was at his most panicky, a palmer came into view, walking slowly towards the city. A palmer was a pilgrim who had visited the Holy Lands. Palmers were revered holy people. Sometimes they were allowed to pray with those about to hang, just before the deed was done. At last, a plan began to form in Robin's mind. When he caught up with the palmer, he asked what he was doing on the road to Nottingham. He got the answer he had hoped for, but could barely believe. Three men are due to hang today. They will not die until I have prayed with them. Deep inside, Robin metaphorically fist-pumped. He begged the palmer to exchange clothes with him so he could go to the hanging himself. The palmer very piously would have none of it, insisting that it was his holy duty to pray with the condemned. The palmer's holy duty, it seems, was only worth 20 gold pieces, as this was all Robin had to hand over in order to buy it. A touch richer, much less pious, the palmer headed off towards Yorkshire with a jangling money bag, while Robin, dressed in the palmer's clothes, made his way to Nottingham. Robin Hood made his way straight to the scaffold. The three brothers' hands were bound and they were standing by their nooses. There was no hangman present and Robin wondered what was going on. Still, he went ahead with his plan. Good sheriff, cried the false palmer from a distance, disguising his voice so it seemed like he was from Yorkshire. It's only right these three criminals should be allowed to repent before God. I will hear their confession. Huh, you'll have plenty of time for that, grumped the sheriff. I can't find anyone willing to hang them. 
Now this was just too much of a stroke of luck. Robin Hood realised that everything was on his side that day. I'll carry out the sentence on the dirty scoundrels for you. Justice must be done. I'll hear them repent and then I'll hang them. The sheriff was delighted. He shouted his permission without giving it a second thought. Robin Hood was now in his element. He strode theatrically forward and took the hands of each of the three men in turn in his own. To the sheriff and the crowd, he seemed to be speaking with each of them in the holiest of holy ways and hearing them repent of their evil deeds. Really, though, he was whispering the plan. He wasn't holding their hands in comfort and prayer. He was carefully loosening the bonds. When he had apparently prayed with each of the three men, Robin Hood stepped back. And then all hell broke loose, as did the three condemned men. Robin threw off his palmer's cloak. Run for it. Run very fast and fight for your lives. The three brothers leapt from the scaffold, closely followed by Robin Hood. By the time the sheriff's soldiers had time to draw their weapons and chase, Robin, Will, Lester and Harry were out of the city gates and running as fast as their legs would take them towards their waiting colleagues. As soon as the sheriff's men came into sight, 40 men in Lincoln Green fired arrows at them. Many fell and there was more confusion. Robin and the brothers reached their fellows and continued running towards Sherwood. Another hail of arrows took out a few more of the pursuers. Little John commanded his men to run towards the forest. The sheriff's men made an attempt to follow, but it was no use. Robin Hood, Little John and the rest of the men were soon safely back in Robber's Glade. Lester was dispatched to his mother's house to give the good news. A very hearty meal of venison was enjoyed by all. Back in Nottingham, the sheriff was receiving a dressing down from the Bishop of Hereford. The angry churchman accused the Master of Nottingham of total incompetence. Thinking that his presence and reputation alone would convince the outlaw to put down his arms and cease his activities, he travelled towards Sherwood unaccompanied. Clearly to any sane person, this was a totally bonkers thing to do, but some powerful men seem to think they're invincible. The Bishop of Hereford was soon to learn the folly of his actions. He seemed to have struck lucky at first. When he entered Sherwood, he came upon Robin Hood almost immediately. The outlaw had been out hunting on his own, something he enjoyed for most of the day. Hey you, Robin of Loxley, pay me the debt you owe me. You robbed me of a sum of money loaned to me by the Sheriff of Nottingham. Oh, come now, replied Robin. You and I both know that isn't going to happen. Why don't you use your influence with God to slow down the king's deer and make them easier for me to catch? Then we can all eat well, you included, in Sherwood tonight. The bishop, of course, was having none of it. He gave Robin Hood a pompous lecture on the illegality of killing the king's deer, getting redder and redder as he blustered on. Robin listened in mock deference and then made his excuses and left. The bishop tried to follow, sword drawn, but a fat bishop on a horse is no match for a fleet-footed outlaw in a thick forest. Robin Hood disappeared into the thickest part. The bishop went home fuming. Was there no law in this land? How could it be that outlaws were allowed to roam the country unmolested? Well, he decided, if the sheriff couldn't do his job, then he, the Bishop of Hereford, would have to do it for him. A few weeks later, as early spring was bringing new life to the forest, the bishop set off with 50 armed men. A day or two later, the party was in Sherwood, determined to root out the despicable outlaws once and for all. The winter rains had swelled the rivers, and the undergrowth was soggy, but they continued unperturbed. As luck would have it, they immediately encountered a couple of very rough-looking tramps. 
One of them was very tall and looked too well fed to be a vagrant. The other seemed to have stolen a very nice red tunic which he wore over his rags. The bishop approached them. Now, my fine fellows, would you like the price of a good meal? Oh, yes, sir, replied Will Scarlet. My friend and I have not eaten for three days. The huge, well-fed-looking tramp nodded and put on a sad face. Then tell me, where may I find the dastardly Robin Hood and his camp? Will Scarlet and Little John told the churchman a huge number of whopping lies about the location of the outlaw camp, and the armed party set off in completely the wrong direction, towards, in fact, the big clearing near the middle of the forest. Will and John, knowing the forest as well as they did, returned to where Robin and forty or so of the merry men were waiting in double-quick time. Robin, I have a plan, whispered Will, and he explained his thoughts to his leader. When he had finished, Robin Hood's face was adorned with a huge smile. Oh, yes, he said. Now that, Mr Scarlet, is one of your best. A few minutes later, Will Scarlet, now dressed in his usual attire, led six of the men back towards the bishop and his soldiers. Deliberately, he allowed the portly priest to see them. The bishop took the bait immediately. Outlaws, he cried. After them. The chase began. Swift, fit outlaws will always be able to go faster than a mounted group of armed soldiers in a forest, but Will ensured the invaders could always just about see where they were. For an hour or so, the pursuers pursued and the pursued evaded them. Then, all of a sudden, they were gone, disappeared into the forest. The bishop motioned for his men to stop and be quiet. He thought he could hear something. Yep, he definitely could. He could hear the sound of men chatting and pots clanging. Surely, he thought, he could hear a feast. He motioned to his men to move on towards the sound. A minute or two later, the Bishop of Hereford thought all his Christmases had come at once. Across the other side of a large clearing, he could see what looked like the entire band of merry men indulging in a banquet fit for a king. Charge! The Bishop of Hereford led the assault. He spurred his mighty horse on towards the feast, adrenaline running high. His exalted mood lasted precisely three seconds and about 35 yards. His horse suddenly stopped running and threw him off. He hit the ground angrily and made to stand up and berate his mount, but found that when he stood, he was encased up to his knees in swampy mud. His horse, likewise encumbered, was desperately trying to escape and finding that all that happened was that it sank further. The bishop felt himself, slowly, very slowly, sink deeper. The mud sucked him in, slowly but inexorably. The fifty men had seen what had happened to the bishop and, just, stopped in front of the swamp. They looked over to the other side. There were a hundred men or more, all with longbows raised, pointing arrows at them. Brave soldiers that they were, they turned and fled. The mighty raiding party was reduced to one soggy bishop stuck in a bog. The bishop, all bravado gone, begged to be rescued, promising to cause Robin Hood no further trouble. Robin ordered his men to throw the bishop a rope. It took ten men to haul him out, but eventually they did. It took twelve more to rescue the stricken horse. You must be hungry. Come and eat with us, said Robin. The bishop was indeed starving and needed no persuasion. When he saw what was on offer, though, his hunger abated a little, but a starving bishop will eventually allow his need for food to overtake his conscience and he ate heartily. 
An hour or two later, the Bishop of Hereford was escorted from Sherwood. His mighty plans to capture Robin Hood were shattered. Not only that, he'd spent an hour up to his middle in a bog and had been forced to eat the king's deer. It had not been a good day. Next time, things get even more serious. If you're enjoying the podcast, or if you'd just like to give me feedback, then you can contact me by email mythandhistory at gmail.com or friend me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History. If you get the chance to leave me a good review on iTunes, I'll be very grateful. So, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.